0: But the standard format in the past was to hand out pens and two pieces of paper to each person. And on the first piece of paper, they had to write down a negative image they had or they heard of a lesbian or gay man. It could be a stereotype.
1: It's not so much that there really are that many more queer people, it's just that people are more, either they're doing less of this repressing than they used to.
2: This week, we continue on with our discussion of sexual politics by taking a look at the history and development of queerness at Brown. We'll start in 1919, when queerness was criminalized in Rhode Island and work towards the present. Currently, over 35% of students at Brown don't identify as straight. How do we get here? I'm Elise Baraket, and this is The Bruno Brief. A quick content warning for our listeners. We will be discussing instances of homophobia in this episode. Today, I'll be speaking with Liliana Grafe, a staff writer and Bruno Brief producer.
3: So, Liliana, tell me a bit about your reporting. Where did you start? Honestly, it was hard to know where to begin. Before the 1970s, there are less than 10 uses of the word homosexual in the Brown Daily Herald's archives, and all of them are in movie reviews or recaps of academic lectures. I'm sure queerness existed at Brown before gay liberation, but that history is hard to uncover. So I started just off campus in Newport. In 1919, at the Navy base, there was a scandal and subsequent investigation that resulted in the arrests of 17 sailors for having sex with other men. As Sarah Yam, a Brown alum, put it in her 2017 paper, Out of the Closet and Into the Quad, The Origins of Brown Gay Liberation, this was the moment when homosexuality stopped being an act and became a type of person. And what came next? Just a year later, Harvard expelled several gay students after conducting an investigation by a secret tribunal to uncover their identities. When one student tried to transfer to Brown, they blocked his application, and former admissions officer Otis E. Randall sent a letter of thanks. He wrote, You have just the information which we needed, and it goes without saying that we shall inform Mr. Lumberd that we do not care to consider his application for admission to Brown. How frequently we uncover in the undergraduate life messes of this sort, and how disagreeable it is to deal with such matters. Wow. So even if queerness wasn't acknowledged by Brown's administration, it was surely not welcomed. Definitely. After this scandal, in 1920, there's a big gap in the archives about queerness, which mostly means that wherever queerness was, it was hiding from documentation. That's the effect institutional and systemic silencing tends to have. It stayed that way up until the 1960s, when Kate Bornstein, now a celebrated queer theorist, was an undergraduate student. I talked to her about her time on campus.
1: There wasn't any open expression of homosexual love at all. Lesbian being nuts at all. I got to campus in 1965, and I graduated in 1969. The so mostly we did queer-wise. Some of us would go down to New York and not have been dragged in. Posed as models for you know, cosmopolitan advertisements, we did modeling work, and a couple of us would go out at night and just try right and get picked up. That, that was pretty much my experience in my life, life.
2: That was Kate Bornstein, an author, playwright, actor, and gender theorist. Her book *Gender Outlaw*, published in 1995, was hugely impactful to queer scholarship. While on campus, they were closeted, like most of the queer population at Brown, but they often snuck into the prop closet of the theater to try on ball gowns when no one was looking.
3: It was just after Bornstein graduated that gay liberation around the nation and at Brown began. Brown University Gay Liberation got an official approval from the student activity group in 1970. The club was run by Tom Littler and his boyfriend, James Moser, who both graduated in 1972, and their friends Jack Marcus and George Haymont. Their presence on campus was revolutionary. Littler and Moser held hands and didn't hide their queerness, but relatively unnoticed. Why do you think gay liberation at Brown had a hard time taking off? It's difficult to say for sure, but local queer historian Kate Montero thinks that queer liberation happened more slowly in Providence than more urbanized areas like New York or San Francisco. Queer people from Rhode Island must have flocked to those areas. As Haymont put it, it's hard to organize when you have to take your mother grocery shopping right after the Gay Alliance meeting. But they kept at it. And by the end of the decade, under a second generation of leadership, BUGL was hosting a queer dance for over a 1,000 students. That's a huge change for one decade. Yeah, it was a revolutionary time. But that's not to say that it was exclusively easy or suddenly safe to be queer. Well into the 80s and 90s, queer students were harassed and abused on Brown's campus.
0: That year, I had a closet door for clothes sign on my dorm room I was living in West Quad. I was living in the closet. And someone had written on it, Rotten Hell, you I'm gonna come back and rape you because I know you need to be satisfied, you spank queen. That's the wording. I've said it enough times to remember it.
2: That was Martha Gardner, an openly queer student who graduated in 1988, in an interview she recorded for the Pembroke Center Oral History Archives. I know in the past a
0: friend of mine ran for UCS and she ran on them openly the gay ticket and she ended up having to unplug her phone because she'd get so many harassing phone calls at night.
2: What's remarkable about Gardner and the queer students that she knew was that they continued to organize against homophobia even when they were being targeted. In the interview, Gardner talked about lesbian and gay dorm outreach, a form of campus activism that targeted harmful homophobic stereotypes. A few queer people would go to freshman dorms or fraternities to talk about ideologies surrounding queerness.
0: The standard format in the past was to hand out pens and two pieces of paper to each person. And on the first piece of paper, they had to write down a negative image they had or they heard of a lesbian or a gay man. It could be a stereotype. So, negative image and also a positive image. That was the second. So, they wrote them both down. We mixed them up, handed them the out, the and people would say that we would talk about them. Actually, the purpose of that is often, like, if a negative image comes up, usually someone in the group, besides um, the facilitators, would, would defend lesbian, gay, stuff. And so, well, that's, uh, you know, a promiscuous kind of thing that might. Well, sometimes straight people are promiscuous, too. It's important that we aren't the people that say it, but that their peers are say it.
3: So queer students on campus were definitely taking initiative to ensure that the old ways of thinking were being addressed and replaced. It paved the way for the acceptance we see on campus today.
1: It's not so much that there really are that many more queer people, it's just that people are more, either they're doing less of this repressing than they used to, and they're more willing to identify
2: publicly. That's Professor Richard Kimberly Heck, who teaches
3: philosophy courses about sex and pornography. They have been teaching at Brown for 18 years. They told me that in that time, particularly in the last five or so years, they have begun to see a new level of queer visibility on campus, and their own public identity has changed since they began to teach.
1: And I've always had this sort of sense that I kind of didn't fit in with
3: the guys, as it were, in some way. And
1: but I also it wasn't like I felt like i fit in with the girls either, you know, and I sort of didn't know what to do with that, so I kind of basically all I did was just repress it. Um, and then some you know somehow I sort of stumbled across the idea of being non binary. I suspect that there are a lot of people who were like me, um, who, you know, kind of didn't really you know, who kind of had certain sorts of these experiences of not fitting in or something, but didn't know what, didn't know how to, what to do with it. I mean, not that it's all, all easy or anything, but I think people
3: grow up nowadays in an environment where
1: you don't have to like, wonder, or you know, at least all of these role models are out there to, to identify with.
3: When Professor Heck came out in 2018, they were the first non-binary faculty member at Brown.
1: So I came to the last day of class, and I handed out all the student evaluations. They want paper paper, back. And so I handed them off to the class, and I meant to leave the room so that they could fill them out, and everyone kind of clapped in a way that, you know, it was my traditional frown. So, and on my way out, I realized that well, I wanted to say, I wanted to go back and say something, and I went back and I said, oh, by the way, remember that my pronouns are they, them, and if you should refer to me on form, please use the right pronouns. And they all clapped at me. And, you know, clearly what they were responding to was like, they were just happy to have professor, you here. Know, and it all happened again, and it, it was really quite thing.
3: Just in the last decade, Brown's queer community has blossomed. Heteronormative culture and societal oppression definitely still exist, but queer studies are taught in several departments. The LGBTQ center has moved into a larger space, and students flock to gay clubs. When Kate Bornstein came to give a talk on campus a few years ago, she was shocked by the amount of queer students she saw milling about campus.
1: See how you could see how it was like wow holy, wow.
2: Thanks for listening. Tune in next week to hear about hookup culture at Brown. This episode was produced by Caitlin Carpenter, Liliana Grafe, Finn Kirkpatrick, Katie Pickens, Samantha Renzuli, Jacob Smolin, and me, Elise Barricette. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the Bruno Brief wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review.